All right. Well, welcome back. Uh, it's time to put away our phone apps, uh, our messaging apps, and pull out our Bible apps if you have those on you, uh, or if you have a hard copy, an old, good old hard copy like our pastor Jeff here, then you can rip those out. And uh, we're going to be uh, in our passage, which Andrew will be reading for us shortly. He'll tell us exactly where to flip. Um, but yes, as we said, we are here to hear God's word read to us. And now, shortly after, we're going to have Jeff teach us. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the famous 20th century preacher, once asked his seminary students, what is the chief end of preaching? His answer, it is to give men and women a sense of God and a sense of his presence. Is that not why we're here today? Is that not why we're joining the live stream from home? We want to meet with the living God. And so to that end, let, uh, let me pray for us as we hear the reading of God's word and also the teaching of God's word. Please bow your heads. Lord, we thank you for your word preserved for us to read and to learn more about you. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and minds to perceive. Open our eyes, Lord, that we might behold the wondrous things of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now to help us with the reading of the word, Andrew. Our reading today is from Mark chapter 10, verses 46 to 52. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bar Timaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. This is the word of the Lord. morning. It was February in 1989 when Princess Diana visited New York City for three days. And as you would expect, there was the red carpet and the opera visit and the dress and the photos and the gala. But what nobody expected and what made the headlines was that Diana's first stop on this trip was to visit Harlem Hospital. No president had ever visited Harlem Hospital. No leading politician had visited. But Princess Diana personally decided that she would visit the ward with infants and children suffering with AIDS. There were no TV cameras allowed inside, but the reports spoke about how The princess talked privately with staff, with mothers, and how she held the hands of many of the dying babies. 
In the crowd that gathered outside the hospital, someone was holding up a cardboard sign that said, Bless you, Princess Di, in Jesus' name. And I think that cardboard sign makes the the perfect royal banner for this event, in Jesus' name. Because that's what you see in Jesus. That's what you see in our passage this morning. And how beautiful that in Jesus you see not only compassion, but you see the power to heal as well. Both then, on that day, and on this day. Here's the big idea for the sermon this morning. It's this, that Jesus is worthy for you to follow because he is the compassionate king and because he is the complete savior. So we'll start first, the compassionate king. The passage begins in Jericho, and this is one of the favorite cities of Herod the Great, the ruler at at that time. He was, in the years just before Jesus was born, he was carrying out great building projects in Jericho. This is when Herod built the theater and the amphitheater and the villas and the public baths and he planted palm trees and rose gardens and he built his winter palace all in Jericho. In Jesus' day, it's a splendid city. But there's also, if you look past the glamour, if you're not distracted by the splendid buildings, you will see disparity. On this particular day, there's a crowd on the road outside Jericho. There's people walking because they're going up to Jerusalem. That's where you go for the Passover. It's a great crowd that is going. So they're walking. Jesus is walking with them. But there's also people not walking. They're not moving because they're sitting beside the road And they're hoping that some of the crowd along the way are going to see them and give what they can. And there's one man there in particular named Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus is blind. Whether he was born that way, or whether he suffered an accident, or whether he has a genetic condition that led to this, however it happened, this is his situation, not by choice. And so he's doing the only thing that he can do in that day. I want to invite you, try to imagine yourself in his situation. To be a beggar in that day was a very hard lot. That kind of poverty would lead to many other health conditions, sicknesses, malnourishment. Day after day, day after day, he goes to the roadside, spreads out his mat, and just listens to people walking past. Now, the normal situation is that royalty makes a point to avoid people like Bartimaeus. Royalty spends time with people wearing their best clothes and people in their best behavior. Season four of The Crown has a scene where the royal family is preparing to step outside Buckingham Palace And 
the queen's private secretary says to the, to, to the family gathered, we have identified and prepared a few suitable members of the general public for you to meet. And Prince Philip says, right, let's get this over with. Gloves on. And they step outside with fanfare into a beautiful manicured space with this eager crowd waiting. Now that's the way of the world. That's, it. that's the way, of course it is. Of course that's how, that's how things are, right? But Jesus is different. That's what you see here. Jesus is a different kind of king. He is not afraid of a scene. He's not afraid of people. You see it here. Because Bartimaeus hears who's coming on the road. And he starts yelling, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the people around him tell him to shut up. You're making a scene. This is embarrassing. But what has he got to lose? Is he going to lose their respect? No. He keeps yelling, son of David. And in that day, Son of David was synonymous with Messiah. This is the great king, the Messiah is. All the prophets speak about him. The Messiah is the one who's going to take David's throne and restore justice and liberate the people of God and reign forever. And up to this moment in Jesus' ministry, any time that someone thinks that maybe Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus tells them to don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone, he says. Why? Because you don't understand the Messiah. I have not come to lead an army. That's what everyone thought the Messiah was coming for. Jesus said, no, I have come to lay down my life. But now, on this day, Jesus' hour is close at hand. He is going to Jerusalem. The cross is on the horizon. It's time. And in front of a huge crowd, a man starts yelling, Son of David! And Jesus stops, and he answers to that name. No more secrecy. Now, the Messiah has got a lot on his mind. Of course, he is carrying the weight of redemption, global redemption, on his shoulders. He's going to Jerusalem to accomplish it. And you might think that this episode right now is a distraction. But what we need to see is that the role of the Messiah is not a narrow role. It's not. It's a broad role, an all-encompassing role, and a broken blind man on the roadside is not a distraction from the main task at hand. Psalm 72 is one of many places in the scripture that talks about the son of David. And essentially, it gives a prayer that is the job description of the Messiah. Listen to what it says. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people Give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. For he delivers the needy when he calls the poor and him who has no helper 
and precious is their blood in his sight. And that is what Jesus came to do. He came to deliver the needy when he cries out. Now here's the application of this first point. Jesus is worthy for you to follow him. He's worthy of your allegiance and your loyalty. Why? Because Jesus is a king, not like any other king who's ever lived. He is the compassionate king. He doesn't stay in Herod's winter palace. He doesn't try hard to avoid broken people. No, he came for them. Precious is their blood in his sight. And in our own culture, with its layers of disparity, we need this. We need to lift up Jesus Christ in our culture and his teaching and his ethics. We need Christian men and women with courage and with imagination, with their eyes on Jesus, walking with him, working in all areas of society, following him. And I I wonder how would that look for you? In your own spheres that you move in, what are the disparities that you see, I wonder? Don't we need Jesus Christ to walk down our roads into those places where we live, where we move about? Don't we need Jesus in these places to guide us, to guide us in our weakness and to do what is true and what is right? We need him. We need to follow him. Second, Jesus is the complete savior. And this episode is complete healing. I mean that Jesus heals Bartimaeus, not just physically, but on multiple different levels. The most obvious is the physical healing, but there there are at least three more levels that we can see here in this text. There's the emotional healing, the emotional healing. These days, I take the Gardner Expressway to to drive to 383 Jarvis to come here. And if you're driving on the Gardner going, going eastbound, and you take the Jarvis Street exit, and you come off the Gardner, and you're going to turn left onto Jarvis, there is a concrete pillar there that's on your left side, And someone wrote on that concrete pillar, you don't even look at us, but we are human too. I think you can hear in those words the emotional pain of a man like Bartimaeus. Because why? Because no one one looks. No one takes notice. But Jesus takes notice. He stops. And then, and then what? He says to the crowd around, call him. Jesus not only takes notice himself, but he involves other people as well in what he's doing. And it's as if Jesus says, this man is worthy of your attention too. Call him. Bring him to me. And when Bartimaeus comes... He's standing in front of Jesus 
And Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? And that is a powerful question. Do you see what's happening in that question? Jesus does not assume. He's not rude to Bartimaeus. No, he's inviting Bartimaeus to express himself as a human being. Jesus puts his power under the direction of what Bartimaeus is going to ask for. And for a man who's been robbed of his dignity, robbed of his agency, that is a powerful moment, emotional healing. There's social healing. At the start of the episode, Bartimaeus is on the side of the road. Why? It's because that is some real estate that no one cares about. No one wants him anywhere else. He's not welcome, not in their coffee shops, not anywhere. Not wanted. But Jesus calls him. He brings Bartimaeus from the margin right to the center, standing in front of him. And where this ends is with Bartimaeus following along, following behind Jesus with the other followers. He's not excluded. He has a place. He is accepted. Social healing. And there's the spiritual healing. At the end, Jesus says to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has healed you. And the word for healed also means saved. You see, at the same time that there's a physical healing, there is a spiritual saving. We know that because the text says that he followed Jesus on the way. In the same episode, in the account of Luke's gospel, it says this, Bartimaeus followed Jesus, glorifying God. At the end of this episode, Bartimaeus knows Jesus. He doesn't just know about Jesus. No, he knows Jesus. And he follows Jesus. And he gives glory to God through Jesus Christ. Salvation has come to this man. And here's the application for this section. Jesus is worthy for you to follow. You should follow him. In fact, you need to follow him. Why? Because Jesus has the power to change your life. There's a psychology professor at the University of Toronto, and he wrote these words. It's easy to believe that people are arrogant and egotistical, but that orientation is not characteristic of many people. They have the opposite problem. They shoulder intolerable burdens of self-disgust, self-contempt, shame, and self-consciousness. They are excruciatingly aware of their own faults and inadequacies, real and exaggerated. They are ashamed and doubtful of their own value. And I think that description is accurate. I think it's accurate for, for many of you listening today. Not all of you, not everyone, 
but many of you. You might have better clothes and better food than Bartimaeus, but you're not so different. Like him, you doubt your worth, and you have circumstances that lead you to ask hard questions filled with doubt. Now, there are ways to deal with shame, and our culture presents a lot of ways to do that. It's in our attitudes to work and entertainment, how we use it, and comforts and experiences and relationships. All these are ways to cover. They can be, that is, ways to cover shame and suppress shame and suppress the voice of shame. And, and, and this, educated, middle-class people tend to be very empowered, and you can chase after whatever idols you set your heart upon that suppress shame. But I want to ask this, how do you do that during a lockdown and stay-at-home orders? Everything is taken away. Every opportunity, every default way to deal with shame is gone. They're all gone. And this is our situation. For the past year, this is our situation. And it's a lot like Bartimaeus. Up to this point, how has Bartimaeus been dealing with shame? What's he chasing after? Is it his career? His vocations? His experiences? No, none of that. He is trapped. There is no way out. Literally, there is no way out for him from shame. And it's there that he meets Jesus. And he meets the complete Savior. Jesus gives his He calls him. He gives his undivided attention to him. He gives him a royal welcome and asks him, what do you want me to do for you? Listen to me. When there is no way out of shame, Jesus is the way out. Jesus is the way out. He's the complete savior for Bartimaeus and he's available for you as your complete Savior. And this doesn't mean when you, when you come to Jesus and give him your life, this doesn't mean that your lockdown lifts tomorrow and everything is suddenly, suddenly different in, in physical outward ways. It means that, it does mean that your life becomes filled with new meaning in all kinds of ways. For example, you have new intimacy with God. God, your creator, becomes God, your father. And when you walk about in creation, as you pray, as you listen to worship's music, as you read scripture, you are brought into, invited into intimacy with God by God's invitation. God speaks to you God speaking is not just a past event. Do you understand that as you read the word of God, God is speaking to you in that moment, present.
speaking to you. What's more, he speaks his love to you. In the word of God, you have a hundred stories of God intervening in the lives of people, and his love is for you also. And as you carry whatever you carry, his mercy is for you. His compassion is for you. What's more, he speaks your true identity. You're not a nobody. You're precious in his sight. Known by God, loved by God, called by God, made in the image of God. And your personal narrative is woven into the story of redemption. For you, a better future is not just possible, it is certain. That's your inheritance. That is the birthright of the new birth. All of these blessings can be yours. And if you're a Christian, they are yours through Jesus Christ. Now here's the main idea this morning. You should follow Jesus. In fact, you need to follow Jesus. He's worthy of that central place in your life. And I'd like to end with two final points of application here on how to follow him. First, you find him in the crowd. Notice, where is Jesus the whole time in this episode? He's in the midst of the crowd. Jesus would always gather a crowd wherever he went. Today, that crowd is the church. And it's not a perfect place. Let's say that right away. It's not. There, is, there are voices within the church community, sadly, voices that tell people to, to keep away from Jesus. This happens. It does. They tell people to, to be quiet. They say to broken people, you're not welcome here. That happens. But there are voices that also say this, cheer up, get on your feet, he's calling you. He's calling you, go to him. Where you hear that voice in the church is in relationships. And if I can make a generalization, this is the whole point of every small group and life group and discipleship group and every kind of group that the church runs in its ministries. The whole point is to create those relationships where you're, you're known and you're welcomed, you experience trust, relationship, and people can say to you, cheer up, get on your feet, he's calling you. If you're not yet part of a small group, you should join one. It's on the website, it's very easy to sign up. If you're not a Christian, then join the group basics of the Christian faith. This is led by Stephen. It's beginning in a few weeks. It's going to be good. His email is in the announcements uh, below this video you're watching. Sign up. Fill his box with emails. <laughs> it's going to be good. Second, second and, and final application, you call him Lord. This is how you follow Jesus. You call him Lord. In verse 51, 
Bartimaeus calls Jesus rabbi. Except, what's interesting, the Greek word is not rabbi, it's rabuni. This is the same word that Mary Magdalene exclaims when she sees the resurrected Jesus. In Jewish literature of that day, rabuni was not used to address a person. It was often used to address God in prayer. And this is part of following Jesus. You call him Lord, my King, my Sovereign. And at this point, many people who are interested in Jesus begin to feel uncomfortable. And you may be thinking something like this. Jesus claims universal authority and truth. Truth and power always get used to oppress people. So I I can't accept that. I can't be a Christian. What can we say? If you feel that objection, I invite you to consider what you see in this text. Look at where Jesus is headed. He's headed towards, he's walking towards Jerusalem, where he knows for certain that he is facing arrest, trial, torture, and death. He's walking straight into that maelstrom, and he's doing it for his enemies. He's doing it to make atonement between God and human beings. This is the truth claim of the Christian faith. It's this. Listen. Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the truth claim. And when you take that truth claim into the center of your life, I want to ask, how, how can it lead you to take up power and oppress others? It is only possible if a group or a nation has a Christian faith without Jesus Christ, without the cross. Those Christianities exist. They do. But know that they are Christian in name only, nothing more. Tim Keller says this, we can conclude that a professed Christian who is not committed to a life of generosity and justice toward the poor and marginalized is, at the very least, a living contradiction of the gospel of Christ, the Son of God, whose Father executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. This is how you follow Jesus Christ. You seek him in the crowd and find him, and you call him Lord. You learn to call him Lord more and more in your life. Don't don't write off the whole notion of truth. Investigate the truth claim. Investigate Jesus Christ. Do not dismiss him. 
He is a king like no other. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So you follow him. Follow him. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, what can we say to such things? Lord God, we give you praise for sending your Son into the world with royal dignity to seek justice, to serve, to move not away from but towards the broken and the needy. We praise you that he came to visit justice upon the earth and to raise up the mercy in him who has no helper. Help us, Lord. Help us to follow him on the way. Clear away the distractions and things that hinder us. May we follow him in truth. We pray it in the name of our Savior. Amen. At this point, we have some time for question and answer, and I'm going to take out the phone and see what questions we have here. Slide to unlock. Okay. First question. Is there a reason why parallel accounts of the story in Matthew and Luke do not name the beggar? In Matthew, it's recorded as two beggars, oddly. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, this is very interesting. And this is a text that often gets um, brought up in conversations about harmonizing the Gospels. So what can we say to this? Well, I think the first thing that we could, we could point out is that there's not, a, there's not a contradiction between Mark talking about what happened to Bartimaeus and Matthew talking about two uh, blind men who were both healed. And we don't, we don't know how the early church received this. And Bartimaeus is named. Those who write commentaries speculate it, it may be possible that Bartimaeus, his name is known uh, within the vicinity of where Mark's gospel was written and that he has a particular notoriety uh, and that it has significance for that first audience uh, that his name is named. Um, yeah, so that's a, that's a very interesting point as well. Um, and, and Mark has particular reasons for, for kind of bringing a, bringing a close shot on, on this one man in particular. We know, of, of course, as Matthew says, there were two. Jesus healed two. But Mark has, in his intention a reason and a desire to, to zero in on Bartimaeus, who he names. Um, one of the very interesting and I, I think somewhat mysterious um, aspects of Mark's gospel, Je- Jesus heals m- many people, of course, um, people with leprosy and cast out demons and all kinds of healings, and Bartimaeus is the only one who gets named in all these episodes. Um, I, I think that's something wonderful and somewhat mysterious to reflect on and to sit with. 
Okay, another question. Uh, okay, Jesus, as God's divine son, had the power to heal Bartimaeus and to heal people of body and soul. As followers of Christ, and especially during lockdown, we do not have the power or ability to heal or even help others. So that's a statement. I'm, I, I suppose the question, well, I suppose the obvious question there is why. Why is, why is that the case? You know, it's interesting as you look at um, the book of Acts, it mentions in many places that Jesus is risen. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father. And in the book of Acts, it's mentioned in a number of places that the apostles were, were doing signs and wonders and, and healing. And Peter says to a, um, a man who can't walk, outside the temple, stand up. And he starts walking and jumping. And We don't see this kind of thing happen in Toronto today, do we? The book of Hebrews talks in, in I believe it's chapter 2 of Hebrews, it talks about how the apostles performed many signs and wonders, which is particularly with this period of redemptive history particularly prominent, I think we can say, which has to do with the authentication of this gospel, this good news that has begun to explode out from Jerusalem and in due course of time is going to sweep through the entire Roman Empire. It's a a particular season of redemption history when these are very common or happening in these in these ways that are that are that are noted and recorded. Today, I, I we we have as a position within our church an an, an openness, and it's interesting, isn't it, to see that in places of frontier gospel work, where the gospel is going for the first time around the world, these kind of accounts are witnessed. Within our church, Grace Toronto, we have a line that we are open but cautious uh, concerning the miraculous gifts. In our calling within the city of Toronto, it would appear, is to walk by faith and by prayer and to pray and seek ways to serve humbly, with weakness, and to bring the gospel in word and deed. Uh, towards those who are hurting. And that's what we gave our Mercy Week uh, talk recently, seeking practical ways, particular ways to, to do that within our city at this time. I'm going to have time for just one final question here. Uh, do you have any thoughts on the criticism that over-focusing on social justice can make us lose sight of issues of salvation slash the human soul. Let me read this one more time. Do you have any thoughts on the criticism that over-focusing on social justice 
can make us lose sight of issues of salvation slash the human soul. I think that I think that the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus' whole ministry lead us to see the importance of holistic ministry. I think that speaking the gospel, because it is a message, speaking the gospel and doing things that are entailed of the gospel, both go together. And I think that there are two wings of an airplane. And an airplane doesn't fly with one wing. That's my thought. Thank you for the questions. At this point, I'm going to invite Kingsley to lead us in a prayer of reflection.